Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. Well, welcome back. This is From Battle to Business with your host, Dean Van Dyke. Today, I'd love to welcome Joe Rocky. Joe's an experienced podcaster, business owner, and coach, sales expert, and diehard Steelers fan. He's one of the few who has created a business from scratch and seen it live for more than a decade. To date, he's given birth to more than 15 companies. He presents mm -hmm. keynote addresses, coaches others, businesses, and individuals to achieve higher goals. In 2017, he started his first podcast, Father and Joe, which is still actively producing new episodes every Tuesday. So check those out. 2022 saw the dawn of his second podcast, Local Football Flavor, which is a video-based show. It interviews fans of their NFL teams to provide unique fan insights about each team that are not easily accessible. So welcome, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. A Steelers fan, huh? A good that's friend of right. mine. Be extremely glad to hear that. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Steelers yeah. Nation is proud and large. That it is. And and uh it's um going through a little bit of transition with Rosselberger out. And mm -hmm. I mean it's uh hey, I, I I feel the pain, you know. As we were talking earlier, I'm a Vikings fan and uh every year's a rebuilding year, it seems like for us. So yeah, every year's a rebuilding year, but you always finish second year division. Um, that, that's basically been the story of the AFC North because there's two good coaches here, which let's face it, you guys did have a very good coach there in Zimmer. Um, there was only two real teams in your division. Ohio didn't matter to us, and you guys don't care about Cleveland or Detroit. So with that being said, even when we're not good, we're coming in second and basically having a chance at the playoffs. It comes on us or Baltimore yep. every year, just like you guys and the Packers. Um, so, yeah, every, every year's a rebuilding year. Um, that I, I get that notion, and we've been rebuilding our offense ever since Ben broke his elbow in 2016. Oh, good point. So, uh, you know, it has not worked out. And if it wasn't for a man named Watt, we wouldn't have a team right now. But that guy is crazy, and when he's healthy, we got a chance of winning. We'll hold you under 10 points because it's the only way we can. But when he's out, yeah, give us an L. Call it a day. Yeah, one of the Watt brothers. Yeah, names and. Delivering the goods. Boy, he is good though. Oh, uh, he is. He's he's fantastic. I mean, it's uh he's a wrecking ball on the on the football field. Yeah, he, he does. I, I watch probably 10,000 hours of NF or of football coaches film in my lifetime. He does something that's remarkable that's virtually impossible to do as a pass rusher. He doesn't start in an unbalanced defensive line formation, meaning that his legs there's not one that's behind the other. They're they're squat and square. And most people don't start that way right. because it's slower off the line. If you think of someone who's going to run a 40, they're set in that track position with one mm -hmm. foot back to get the quicker step. But because he starts from a flat formation, he has more options at his disposal. He's not cheating inside or outside by how many steps it would take to get there. And that moment of hiding his initial entry move means that the tackle or tight end, or in some cases, three guys blocking him in a given play, doesn't know his first step. And since he's so quick and his hands are so powerful and just swatting blocks away, 
it gives them a tremendous advantage that the rest of the league just doesn't have because it's they're not capable of it. They're not capable of using their left foot and right foot just as well on a first step, um, which makes sense. You know, from the time that they've been in high school, they've been trained. I'm a right defensive end. I'm coming off hard this way. Right. right. And to learn both sides of the ball to be truly ambidextrous is rare. And he is utilizing that to the max. And, oh, when he gets someone who can't bend or can't move one direction or the other, uh, that's how you get four sacks in week one against Cincinnati. It gets ugly. And it gets ugly fast. It is. It is. It is. Well, I know I'd love to talk football, but I know we. Oh, sorry about that. (laughs) Oh, that's all right. That's all right. But we're here to talk some sales. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's one of your specialties. I know that's. Oh, yeah. You love sales. And. So tell us a little bit about your backstory related to sales. So I have been in a commission only position since I was 18 years old. And those positions obviously have changed and varied as I got older. But I started as one of those people who was, hey, I'm a college kid. I don't know nothing about nothing. But I can I come to your house with some really, really sharp knives and make you buy them? Um, and that's how I started by selling Cutco Cutlery. I was good at it. It eventually uh, funded a trip that I had to Rome. Um, for a semester abroad. And then when I came back, I had a couple of essentially college mandated internships that were not in sales. They were in accounting and finance, which helped later when I launched my own business. Mm-hmm. But when I came out of college, um, I was the middle of the last recession. And basically every accounting and banking job was gone because, well, that was who was hurting from the recession. So I ended up being a financial advisor. It's basically a glorified life insurance salesman uh, for those of you at home. And I was very good at it. The first year I was rookie of the year. Second year I was underclassman of the year. And the third year I left. The primary reason I left was I had no control over my product. Mm. It kept changing on me as the economy was getting better they kept making their products weaker and lesser because they didn't need to be as aggressive anymore. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. I wanted to be able to control my product from the beginning to the end. And that's what led me to launch my first entity. That was in 11. It was a real estate based one. Um, Really every company I created before 2017 was real estate based. Um, But that was where we would buy properties, modernize them, and then resell them for the equity we built. Most people call that flipping. If you're watching one of those TV shows, eventually created a rental model and then redesigned it completely once I figured out how to beat Pennsylvania law. Uh, Pennsylvania is the fifth hardest state in terms of being a landlord. So there was a lot of ins and outs with that. And I'm glad to say we overcame it. And now every single one of my rentals, the person in it is on way to becoming the owner of it eventually, which took so many headaches of being a landlord off the table that most people don't know. And this is just me refining systems and processes so I could scale it because being at a tenant's house and fixing some pipes is not a good use of my time, nor is it cheap. Uh, But if they're responsible for it, I don't need to go. And most of the time I never even find out about it because it's their house, they're responsible for fixing it. So that's how we have created the entities and had them grow. And then obviously a lot of other ones have sprouted out since then, but that was the beginning of me starting my businesses and diving full into the, uh, it's all me and that's it. And if it doesn't work, I have no one to blame. Wow, that's that's awesome. So obviously one of the things, the key things that you've had throughout this is is a great mindset. And so what, from a sales perspective, what kind of mindset should a business owner have? Yeah, mindset's incredibly important. You can't really understate it. 
the way that I try to teach people that you want to have is you want to have a realistic and optimistic mindset at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you have to be realistic in the fact that you know what reality is. You know, I am never going to play in the NBA. I am never going to be able to block Shaq. It's not happening. But there are things that I can do. And right. that's where I mean by being realistic. What are our current resources we have at our disposal? And where is it that we want to be? And with those two mindsets together, the where I want to be being the optimistic view, it's really the basis of everything you will do. Mm-hmm. So you can't get down upon yourself with things that go perfectly to plan. And the less realistic you are, the more likely things won't go according to plan. Um, but nor do you want to be negative and have no optimism in your life. So I would say it's probably 85% pure realism and 15% optimism. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, you know, mindset, you know, as we learn more about how the mind works and how people, you know, the negativity that, that if that's your focus, how, how much more you reap of that. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that uh, the realistic uh, along with the optimistic uh, because there's, you know, I've run into people that have been just optimistic and it's like a glow worm and you're like something, you know, how do you be real when you're just that optimistic about things and how things can go? And I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think um, it's it's somewhat of a challenge, I think, to to maintain such a, a, a glow worm type of, of mindset. But uh, yeah, because at some point reality sets its foot in whether you want it to or not. You know, the, the truth will bear itself. Mm-hmm. And if you embrace it along the way, you're much better for dealing with the situation. You know, the reality of being able to see what is going on is the best way of becoming a hiring manager. And I know that this is about sales. So I don't want to go down that tangent. But keeping as a business owner's head in reality is essential. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the only way you'll be able to truly navigate the difficulties that are creating a business from scratch. Yes. I mean, startups, I mean, you know, the, just the challenge, as you know, you know, getting them off the ground and then keeping them going. Mm-hmm. I mean, our failure rate in this country, I think small business wise is what 50% first five years. So uh, it's higher than that, but um, I'll go with that in my, well, let me put it in the industry. I started it was a 97% failure rate for people 97. who do their first flip will never do a second one. So okay. they buy one and just never will do it again. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's not easy doing this. I mean, let's face it, you put all the government requirements aside because each state, those are going to be different. They're not easy, but just put them all aside. At the end of the day, you're entering into a sales system that every company has, regardless of whether you recognize it or not, mm-hmm. that is not inviting to a single personality type because it's so massive. So in the first stage, there's three stages of the sales. People have to know who you are and they have to have a desire to come to find you. Yep. Okay. Stage two, when we are here with the client, when they're at our store, they have to be comfortable enough to exchange resources for a promise of a product. Mm -hmm. Normally that's cash, but cash or credit card. And then we're going to give you something. And then step three, the backend product has to be awesome. So there is no personality type that excels at all three of them. It takes, each of them are different skill set. So if you're starting, especially in a small or a single man operation, you have to recognize where is my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And then how do I overcome these weaknesses? And for most of us, the most efficient way to do it 
is to outsource what those weaknesses are. So in my case, I know that I am not a fan of having my calendar full for ongoing appointments, but I had partners that hated doing the middle step of exchanging you know, resources for promises. Mm-hmm. And we created a bunch of partnerships. I did the part he didn't want to do. He did the part I didn't want to do. The perfect main match. And the other thing that people get themselves in trouble with, with selecting partners, they try to find someone that's too much like them. And the reality is, is you need to find someone who's almost the opposite of you in terms of what they want to do and what not. Um, cause just cause there's a task that you don't want to do does not mean there's not someone on this planet who wouldn't love to do it because right. there is, I mean, there's just some things that are universally unappealing, but in terms of a, a genuine authentic task that needs done for a business, someone will want to do it. Someone will want to sit down and do data mining to find out what our ideal client thinks, mm-hmm. loves and desires. And someone else might hate that process of sitting behind a computer and doing that. So like I said, everything's out there. You need to recognize your own personal strengths and weaknesses and be honest with yourself. This is part of the realism that we just discussed a minute ago. Right. Oh, absolutely. So with that realism in mind, so take a business owner who's an introvert and Mm -hmm. how do you... So as an introvert, you you typically, you know, you're going to struggle with conversation potentially. So how do you take an introvert and help them be successful in sales? So when most people ask a question like that, they're talking about the center section of sales. When we're talking about interacting with another person, exchange for resources or the other. Uh, This is the category of the three in the sales process that is least inviting to most introverts naturally for all the reasons you just said. So what I would suggest is figure out which one of the other two you like more. Do you like being on the marketing side to get people to find you through digital campaigns or or whatever marketing system you want to do? Or do you want to become a great product designer and product creation for operations? Um, There's a need for both of them. Uh, In my case, all of my partners who did the marketing, figuring out my schedule, keeping us full, keeping the leads coming in, they're the biggest introverts I know. Like They're like, would scale off the charts in some cases. Um, and the way it did is they didn't try to do what I was doing. I didn't try what they were doing. We just created a partnership to go through that. And that's what I would recommend because if you try to go against something that is so ingrained against what you are, mm-hmm. it will burn you out to the point where the rest of the industry, the rest of your company will perish right. because of that. Again, no personality type is designed to do all three of these funnels. It's okay finding someone to do one of the parts that you don't want to do, mm-hmm. and that's more successful. In the long run, you end up being better off for it because you're going to push off the part you don't want to do, and because it's essential to revenue, your company will suffer. Well, that's, I mean, being like you just said, the realist, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. realizing you don't want to do that piece of it. So who can you partner with to do that for you? And then you feed, you know, either end of it, but you don't take on something that is not going to get you out of bed in the morning and get you excited about, you know, opening up the business and and getting it going. Um, So what do you think is uh, a common myth about sales that you want to dispel? Well, that was one of them that, that that people have to do all of it themselves because it's certainly not an effective way to do it. A team as a whole is much better than an individual in a sales process. True. Um, you know, obviously, I agree with 
that the statement says sales aren't easy. So I believe that they should be your highest or at least the potentially highest paid people in your company. Um, when I'm telling people how to hire salespeople, I strictly look for those who are willing to live off of 100% commission, knowing that I'm going to cut them a giant check one day, but also knowing that that person's motivated to do this and that they are controlling their own destiny. Uh, that's what I love about sales is that it can really take you anywhere you want it to go. If you're in a company structure, the only limitation upon how much you can sell is what your company can produce. And most of them would invite the challenge of make me make 10 times as much as what I did last year. Um, most of them would love to do that. So what I would say as far as what holds most salespeople back is not the outside world, it's themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's their attitudes and their beliefs entering the sales process, um, which goes back to, again, what we started in the beginning with. If it's a negative mindset that starts creeping on someone that becomes a limiting factor and holds them back. So to answer your question, what I think the biggest myth is, the biggest myth is the outside world is not why you're not good at sales. It's probably yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that because if you think about it, you know, in football, baseball, 90 to 95% of it's all up here. It's all mental. 5% mm -hmm. of it, 10% of it's your mechanics. It's your process. It's it's what you can do. And I think that that's where, you know, I run into business owners all the time. In fact, I've, I've had a few that I've coached that, you know, sales just wasn't their forte. And that's where, like you said, find somebody that loves it, whether it's straight commission or maybe there's a mix of it, but find somebody that's really a go-getter and wants to go do that. And I think that that's where, um, you know, a lot of business owners, I think that's where they struggle because they think, Oh, I got to do everything. No, that's, that's not the correct approach. I mean, mm -hmm. and so, uh, you know, you know, as if you've got a house that you're, you're renovating and, and working to, to move, you know, I'm sure you don't want to be in there hanging drywall. So no, every time I was at a house, I was costing myself money and I was slowing them down. Um, yeah, to your point about owners wanting to do everything, remember at the end of the day, the definition of an employee is someone who is doing something that the business owner either can't do or doesn't want to do. That's the end of it. So if you have something that you no longer want to do and you can afford it, outsource it. Right. And then it also allows you to eventually scale yourself. The less you are tied into your business, the the more it's scalable and the more you'll be able to enjoy it. Um, it, it it's something that's, if you think of it like as, as a kid, our goal is not to hold our baby's hands when they're 23. Our goal is to let them go out into the world without us. Right. Our businesses need to have that same mentality. It's just on a much, much faster timeline if done correctly. Agreed. And I mean, there's a there's a great book out there. I know it's pretty old, but it's still a great book. The E-Myth talks exactly about having those systems in place so that you it you aren't the core of the business. I mean, that's that's um so what if you're thinking about so from a sales perspective, uh the business owner loves to do the sales. So what are two to three questions that you would ask to learn more about their potential customer? As me hiring or as the business I hire me as a coach or as the, as me trying to find clients for my business. So if you're, yeah, as you're coaching one of your business owners, what, mm -hmm. what are some things that you 
provide to them from a like a questioning perspective so that you know if they're discovering what their customer wants and needs um and what what kind of questions do you have the folks that you coach ask mm-hmm. their, their potential customers yeah so when when we're going through in front of a, a customer we need to find out what why we're having this interaction in the first place i mean mm-hmm. i guess that's that's the starting point so if you can't very clearly and readily get to an answer and say, if this person doesn't get my my product, they're going to be worse off. We need to figure out how to get them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this does not mean that we're playing mental games. Where we're trying to manipulate people. We're trying to say that they came to my car dealership because they want a car. They're not here just to look at, oh, the shiny colors that Ford created this year. They need a car. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get a car, what's going to happen to them? And at the end of the day, that is the goal of all the salespeople involved is to get individuals to the point of truly expressing what's inside them and what it is that's going on. And that connection is incredibly vital. It's, mm-hmm. it's you have to have the ability to become vulnerable with the client so they'll become vulnerable with you. And you know, it, you do a lot of permission back and forth, a lot of check-in questions. Is mm-hmm. it okay if I ask you? You've probably never been asked this before, and I hope it doesn't come across as weird and stuff like that. It's, it's an introduction to soften it, and eventually you end up at a point where the question is: If you don't do this, what happens? Mm-hmm. Well, I keep driving the car I don't like, or it's broken, so I can't drive anywhere. Okay, so this is a real problem. We we. We, we acknowledge it's a real problem. It's not just something you said so that we didn't have awkward silence standing here. Cool. Real problem. Check. What is the personal impact to you? Like, if you don't do this, is there going to be an actual physical, emotional thing going on inside of you? Or are you just going to schlub it off like, eh, they lost. We'll move on next time. Like, like wh- what's going to be the, it, you got to get them to a point where it's like, if it doesn't happen, we're going to be crying. Like we got a letter from war that Johnny's never coming home. Like that's Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal. And then it's honestly, can we fix that problem or not? Don't try to put a a round peg into a square hole. They say, yeah, you know, the end of the day, we hundreds of people have said exactly what you're saying. We can help you out. This is how we'll do it. And then it just comes down to a question of, are we a good fit? Are you able to afford the cost of what it takes to do it? Sometimes that cost is time. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's something else. But do you have the ability and the desire to spend what it takes to get there? And, you know, that that's that's all part of it. And, and the reason you got to go to all those emotional depths is because it breaks out the ongoing problems of people fluffing off down the road. Mm-hmm. So one of my clients here is a trainer and he'll get, he was getting people all the time saying, yeah, I'm so motivated. I want to have a six pack, my new year's resolution. And comes time for the second, third training. The guy doesn't show up, doesn't come around. Cause he didn't really care that much. He never got to the true yeah. essence and getting over this hurdle. while it's awkward. It's different in the beginning. You're, you're not following a sales script. You're being an actual person. Mm-hmm. You know, connecting to someone else. There's no way to write a sales script for that. There's ways to guide you and train you to do it, but you're going to be saying different words every time. Like right. when we came on our podcast, I had no idea I was going to be talking Dalvin Cook today, um, but here we are. Good so uh, at the end of the day, it's it's how do we relate to people? How do we connect? 
And that's really how you want to master the center part of the sales cycle Mm -hmm. of exchanging resources for a future service. It's all about connecting to people in an authentic way because every single customer on this planet, especially the younger they are, has a better and better detection system of being lied to. Um, The internet and TV age has done that dramatically compared to what my grandparents would have gone through. You know, it would have been just like, this person's the official, that's that, and there, there's no way they would lie to me. Now we're used to it. I mean, we, we all, I mean, you can think of a hundred different examples of someone being lied to and just, well, you got to train yourself. You can't be that. Um, you know, I remember, what was it, 15, 20 years ago, whenever uh, the linebacker from Notre Dame got lied to about having a girlfriend, he exploded, the whole thing was on national TV for like six months. Yeah. Well, you ask anyone who's older than 40 at the time, they were devastated. You ask anyone who's younger than it, it's like, oh, that guy's an idiot. Like everyone knew that this happens all the time. Like, how did you not check that? Um, and the point is that younger crowd is here. So you can't be lying and cheesy and, you know, inauthentic to it. You need to be real and genuine. And everyone's radar has been evolved since then. I don't know if evolved is the right word, but heightened, certainly heightened. better yep. since then. Yeah. And I think one of the key things you mentioned is emotion, right? So Mm -hmm. we, I know, I know this might be a shock to a lot of people, but we don't buy using objective reasoning. We buy based on emotion. I mean, that Mm -hmm. because we're emotional beings and that's, that's one of the things where, you know, I, I know that I've went out and I've tried to say, you know, well, this is the reason I'm going to do buy this. And these are the reasons why at the end of the day, I fell in love with it. It was an emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where absolutely agree with you is making that emotional connection because then you're going to understand, truly understand what the need is because you're right. Um, you know, years ago, I hired a trainer. Uh, didn't really dig into why I hired a trainer. And you're right. After I think it was four weeks, I'm like, all right, I'm done with the trainer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to where a few years ago, I flipped a switch and made some real changes and lost a lot of weight, but I didn't need a trainer, but it was really that emotional, uh, you know, that, you know, I, I had enough and I'm going to make this change. And, and I did. And that's where I absolutely agree with you. If you're digging into the emotional aspect of things, you're going to one, find out really quick why they're there. And number two, you're going to start to create that, that relationship. And that's, I mean, that's essential. And also in that you're going to find out if they're a real prospect for you or not. Um, you know, part of the the goal that I'm trying to teach people is there's this, this goes back from the salesperson's perspective. There's nothing more devastating than thinking you have a sale in your pocket just mm-hmm. to have that prospect run away and never return. And then you're playing Monday back, you know, Monday morning quarterback about what went wrong, what did I do wrong when the majority of time that person just wasn't a prospect in the first place. Right. You know, every business out there should not, again, should not strive to be everything to everyone. It should try to be everything to one, to mm-hmm. one person, to one specific group. This is what we're here for. We're not going to be everything to everyone. We don't want to be. And that simple acknowledgement is something a lot of first time business owners fail at because they get the slightest whiff that there might be an opportunity for revenue here and they'll go all in at it, even if it's outside of what their business should be doing. 
And it's really a way to deteriorate your brand. Uh, normally, people deteriorate their pricing during the process, and it, it puts you in a horrible spot. But if you start with the mindset of saying, I'm essentially interviewing you the same way I'd be interviewing an employee, and mm-hmm. I want to find out all the reasons I shouldn't hire you. And that's the goal. That's the goal with hiring people. That's the goal with going through and finding out if you want to have someone as a buyer. Because if they're not giving you any emotional back, then they're never going to be a buyer. Just let them off the hook and say, all right, we're not going to be a good fit. You know, nice day. Keep it moving. Right. Uh, this is why this is the middle part of the sales funnel, by the way. If you need to have your first part of people desiring to find you, wanting to be with you, overflowing. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that in the beginning, especially you're going to get a lot more of duds than you're going to get actual legitimate prospects. And the way that a lot of people measure those prospects coming in the door isn't really correct. They either do one of two things. They try to super overanalyze them with the free information you can get online, or they do none of, they do nothing. They just go, we got this guy on a call service and he said, he'll come either way you essentially need to get all of the bad stuff out and keep those 2% that actually would have been yours. And eventually, as you're going on, both sides of these funnel, the marketing side and the middle, what people call sales only side, need to become more in line of saying, this is what we want as Mm -hmm. kind of the majority, but try to get this group as well. You always should be working on at least three groups from your marketing standpoint. Your bread and butter clients now, what you would like your your next level of bread and butter clients to be, and then you're super, this will be amazing. I'd lose my mind if we got this guy. Um, you should be trying all three of them because that's another way you just increase your growth. And to those salespeople out there who have the ability to control your prices, always make them higher than you are right now. Um, and And... I, as many times as possible, don't give out your price. Um, have the other person tell you what their budget is first mm-hmm. and then find out. It's That's a sales system and a sales tactic that you can use repeatable language for in sales scripts, which I certainly can teach people. But that is one of the things that many people who are inconfident in their own ability and don't want to become vulnerable to their states it ends up showing up in the prices they charge because they're too insecure with themselves to go to this emotional place with their client. They just run away and hide behind the lower price. And all that does is hurt your bottom line and make it harder to run your business, which is already hard enough. Very true. Very true. Well, shifting gears a bit into what mm-hmm. I like to call my speed round. I've got oh, yeah. a couple right. of questions, questions for you. Um, I don't have, I, I actually have my walking treadmill underneath my desk, so I can't get it going right now, but, um, <laughs> so tell me what are three books you would recommend and why? Extreme ownership by Yako, uh, because it's, as it says, you need to have extreme ownership of everything that's going on, whether it's your baby or not. If you want to be a part of it, you need to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. Uh, I do love the uh, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. That, as far as building systems, is one of the best books um, you could ever read um, in, in that capacity. And you know, I, I 
shameless plug time. I'd recommend everyone to get my book as well. That'll be coming out the second half of this year. That is all about how to sell and how to use what exactly what we're talking about, your mindset, your resources to um to, to enhance your ability. And the narrative that I give in there is the true story that I've done every time I've gone to Vegas is how I have Vegas pay for me by utilizing the tables. And um, it's a, it's a true story. I do it every time I'm there. I've, first time I went there, I had 500 bucks in my pocket in cash and only 200 left on available credit. That was already prepaid to the room. And I stayed in Vegas for four days eating everything I absolutely wanted to eat. And then some, um, let me put it this way. The wins uh, buffet is more than 500 bucks. And that's how I spent the final day. So nice. it, it worked in totality and everything else you could think that a 26 year old guy and his friends would want to do in Vegas kind of happened. And it was way more than 500 bucks all said and done. And not to mention, we came home with extra money on top of it. So, nice. Well, that I'd recommend getting that book just for the yeah. Vegas experience. That sounds amazing. So what oh, are it is. Worst three favorite movies and why? I love Gone in 60 Seconds. There's just something about the way that that, that movie brings together the, uh, obviously the cars are cool. I mean, that part's fun. That's but right. it, it, it's at the end, it's a, it's a movie about freedom and taking care of those around you. Um, that's what God says. Uh, Nicholas Cage steals all these mo- all these cars so that his brother doesn't get killed. Paraphrasing the entire plot there. Um, I liked Iron Man 1 a lot. Um, aside from the fact that it launched a franchise, it, uh, you know, just stepping out, saying this needs done. Not everything I did was perfect. Not everything about me is perfect, but I'm going to make this work. And at the end of the day, that's what Iron Man is. Um, so, so I, I would say those two, I, I've probably seen more than anything else. And the third one being Hamilton, which isn't really a movie, but it's on Disney plus. So I count it. Uh, and um Hamilton's the same deal. It's it's a guy doesn't really know what he has. Doesn't really have much at all, but he knows he wants to be something important mm-hmm. and looks for every opportunity to get there. And that's really the the whole first half of Hamilton. Second half is all the political side, but that's what the first half of Hamilton really is. Wow, that some awesome recommendations. And I don't have your book on my bookshelf, but I got the first two. And, well, uh, it doesn't come out until the second half of this year. And okay. um, depending upon when this particular episode gets released, I'll be able to give you the uh, discount code for, for you and your listeners. But I'll be Perfect. able to send that over to you then. Perfect. Probably be, uh, let's see, where are we at? Probably going to be middle April sometime when it comes out. So It will still be getting reviewed by the publisher at that point. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Actually, right. at that point, we might be under the belt. Well, we'll see where we're at. But uh, I have to give them the final transcript here by the end of March. So Okay. Well, so speaking of that, so where can my audience go to learn more about you and especially your upcoming book? Yeah, so both place the same answer. It's called Elite Business Conversations. That's my business and the website's EliteBusinessConversations.com. Anything professional, um, you know, chats about how to make yourself a better salespeople, your team of better salespeople, or me to come in and you know talk to your group in a sales victory conference. I love doing that. And all of that can be found at EliteBusinessConversations.com. It's the easiest way to find me, EliteBusinessConversations.com. Well, we'll be sure we include that with the with the podcast. And and Joe, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and, and for your insight. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, I mean, the football insight I got before we hit record, I, I'm amazed. I, I'm going to have to go listen to this football podcast and actually 
tell my son about it too, since he's uh he's a football aficionado and and that's what his main focus is, is when there's when their football's in season. So yeah, and, so and, and local football flavor certainly that and um, for, for getting in tune with the relationship side of sales, even though it's not a sales podcast per se, I, Father and Joe on every audio network is all about building up better relations and how to, starting with yourself, become better at it. And that that's what it is. We, we're hitting our 300th episode. Um, wow. We'll be released by the time that, that this comes out. And um, you know, like I said, I, I certainly recommend that as a way to open up your horizons, figure out how to connect a little bit better. Because at the end of the day, everything involving a business is a relationship. Everything about life is a relationship. And how can we do better at it is essential. So I invite everyone to check that out. That's called Father and Joe. And then obviously the football one is local football flavor. Yeah, and you can find those on pretty much all podcasts. Uh, Father and Joe is an audio only one. Uh, Local football flavor is basically only on YouTube. YouTube. Got it. Okay, great. Well, we appreciate that. And again, Joe, thank you so much for coming on and we look forward to the launch of this episode. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks for listening. In order to help others, please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone and now you don't have to in business.